Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Welcome to the Houndsman XP Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Powell. Just like every other week, I guess. You know, when you see the real thing, then there's no mistaking it. And it's so true when you see a, a true houndsman, a guy that just excels at being a good human being. And that's Casey Stutzman. Casey joins me on this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast. He was in Wisconsin bear hunting. He spent a week up there hunting and then uh, traveled down through the corn mazes of northern Indiana, central Indiana, and then finally to the, the foothills of Appalachia down here on the north bank of the Ohio River. And uh, Casey made the trip. He'd never been in this country. We hung out for a couple days showed him all the boring things that that are in this country it, you know it's hard to show a guy cool stuff when you come from pl- someplace like northwest montana and you make your living in the rocky mountains casey's a helicopter logger he's a custom home builder everything he does he does excellent and outstanding and his hounds are just in the same category i mean he's very meticulous the cool thing about casey though is he is an objective thinker i mean he's always trying to learn new stuff and he's very humble about his hounds and his hunting and the cool thing about casey is he's always trying to find the good in people 
and we're going to get his whole story. We're going to compare bear hunting in the Rocky Mountains to, to bear hunting in Wisconsin. We're going to talk about the culture there. He's going to talk about all the, the things that he saw that he appreciated from, from a great group of bear hunters up in Wisconsin, the way they helped each other out. And, and we will discuss those differences there. We're going to talk about dog work. We're going to take a deep dive into dogs, folks. It's going to be, um, it's going to be a good discussion on, on our philosophies on starting pups to introducing pups to, to keeping hounds rolling. You know, there's a lot of good dog talk in this podcast too. So buckle up. It's going to be a good one. Make sure that you're joining us on Patreon check out our website at houndsmanxp.com i do have to do this section in the pre-roll folks but check us out at houndsmanxp.com your contributions and your support for us is so important to keep this show rolling and i just want to thank everybody that's already joined us on patreon and we're going to have some more cool stuff coming i promise we already offer our $12 supporters a free membership to the Sportsman's Alliance, and we're right on the cusp of adding another pretty cool freebie to everybody that joins us on Patreon. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned to our social media platforms to hear that kind of news and, and keep up to date. Those are, That's the Houndsman XP Podcast Group on Facebook. And we've also got a Facebook page, Houndsman XP Podcast. And on Instagram, it's Houndsman XP Podcast. We've also launched our YouTube channel. Check that out. We're dropping all of our previous episodes. They're all there. Uh, You can go back and listen to everything. We're also dropping cool content and and shorts, all kinds of cool stuff that that YouTube likes and stuff that I think you're going to like. And we're working on developing that. So that's the big news is website, Patreon, and YouTube. Shane Demore, our IT guy, has been working his guts out to develop that YouTube channel, and it's only going to get better. Folks, this is a box shaker. It's recorded live in person right here from the Houndsman XP Base Camp in Bear Branch, Indiana with Casey Stutzman. Let's get the tailgate down. It's time to dump the box. So you're going to get locked y'all now that the recorder's going? No, no, we're, we're in the right frame of mind, I think. Yeah, move your, uh, move your mic up a little bit. I might need to turn you up just a tad, tad too. Now, now give me some. Right there? Yep. You're going to be a mouth breather? Mouth breather, yeah, for sure. All right, good deal. Casey Stutzman's in the house. All the way from Montana here at the at the World Houndsman XP Base Camp in Bear Branch, Indiana. It's the first time you've ever been this far east, isn't it? Yeah, it is for sure. It's been uh, it's been a, an interesting trip. I've never been on the other side of the old river. So, you called me yesterday, and you're like, "Is there a fire, or is your air always this hazy?" And I just started laughing. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta, you gotta. Uh, it's like it's like eating pudding, trying to breathe down here. But yeah, we were climbing those steps, and you were struggling down there at Markland Dam because the air was too thick for you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, a lot of difference. It's always good to get out of your own little comfort zone a little bit and see what see what's out there. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, your dogs look good, man. They they look hard. You've been chasing bears in Wisconsin. How how many days were you up there? Uh, I think I only hunted four days, maybe five days with up there. Yeah, yeah. I decided to come on all the way out here and meet up with those guys and and uh, bring a girl out here to you. But we, um, um, I wasn't wasn't totally planning, and it was never a good time, you know, to break away from home in the summer. We try to get a lot of our work done, and, and uh, we just got off of our spring season up there. And yeah, and so um, yeah, I'm glad I did. It's it's been fun. I, like I said, really cool to get to get to hunt with those guys in wisconsin and see mm-hmm. see what that's all about it's a like larry always told me he's like you gotta go see it just once it's a it's at a, least <laughs> once you gotta experience <laughs> yeah. it yeah so um really really an enjoyable time though for sure yeah way different i didn't know what to expect and and uh do you have a radio in so your truck i do yeah actually so you were already wired you were already hot wired oh, yeah. into the whole culture i was yeah no we jumped right into it they had to move their channels around a little bit to make it work with mine but um um but yeah yeah that that's that's definitely a part of it is communicating with everybody when you're working in a crew like that breaker breaker that's yeah. what larry used to say yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like tim four good buddy got one rolling that's right he's coming towards the hard top cut him off we hunted the weekdays and so um, you know, it wasn't terribly busy, but there definitely was a, it was a game changer on the weekend showed up why pile of folks and, and lots of guys and, um, but good people. Like I, uh, a big part of that experience to me was seeing that culture that kind of surrounds. Yeah. The, let's talk about that. Let's talk yeah. about, cause it's kind of cool. And that's one of the benefits that I get doing the podcast Yeah, is I see the, the difference in the culture from, you know, Appalachia all the way to the Rocky Mountains and up and down the Rockies even of, of the different the way different ways people hunt. Yeah. And and it's one of those deals where uh it's the first time you go do something it's completely different. But you realize that there's a reason why things are different in yeah. different regions of the country. Yeah. No, that's just it. Like I, you know, like I, I told those guys a lot, you know, I asked them lots of dumb questions and, but I told them a lot though, you know, it's like, it's a pretty special thing where you've got, you know, because you're, you're just hemmed in. There is, is an unlimited country and there's a lot of folks, a lot of bear hunters, which is awesome. I mean, that's really a good problem to have until they're all right in your backyard, you know? Yeah. But, but, (laughs) but it is, there's such a culture surrounding bear hunting that's so strong in Wisconsin that um, that it's seen in a positive light on a community level, you know. Yeah, all, all, for the uh, most part. We were in rural Wisconsin, sure. you know, and you just really see it in in billboards and you see it in 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 the towns. But but I thought it was just kind of cool, like like it's it's just a unique thing that everybody's willing to put up with each other and help each other out and and let that guy's dogs be a part of this race. And I mean, I'm sure there's some real selfish guys that, you know, that kind of abuse and use all the young guys for, mm-hmm. their own, you know, <laughs> for themselves. But, but, you know, I, I'm always a little jealous of my time alone hunting all the time, you know, cause I get to hundred percent focus on my dogs and my agenda and, and, you know, but in, in turn, I'm, you know, I obviously don't have anybody to help me and, and, you know, when you dive off the mountain, 
you know, you're hiking all the way back to the mountain. It'd sure be awful nice to jump on the radio once in a while and say, hey, pick me up down here in the bottom and have somebody rip around and pick you up. Right. All right. So, 30, 30 or 40 mile road trip around to pick you up. Yeah. You know, so I can just, there's just a lot of value in that and helping each other bait, you know, and, and kind of everybody baiting together or being kind of unified in their plan on what they're doing because that's a key component in, in being successful in those small, smaller areas. Um, is keeping those bears in those smaller areas so you don't always end up down in, in the private or something. So, um, you know, that's that's new to me. I haven't ever really jumped into the baiting thing ever. So uh, I've ran a fair bit, but, you know, it's always just... just yeah, because Idaho's right across this hop, skip, and a jump yeah, for you. And, and I've, you know, been fortunate enough to draw a non-resident Idaho quite a few different years. Um, I spent quite a bit of time helicopter logging over there on the road camped up in the woods and and so got to know a lot of that country the years i was usually camped though i didn't have a non-resident hound handler i was unsuccessful those years so i was up there but my dogs were with me because my family was with me and mm-hmm. everybody thought i'm sure they knew <clears throat> i was running bears because i had blue, blue ticks all staked out and an airedale but um <clears throat> but to be quite honest i was i wasn't hunting those years but uh um wishing i was but regardless, sure. I never did jump into running any baits over there, even when I was able to legally, um, mostly just because of a time factor, you know. It was a few hours for me to get over there, and I was working pretty much, you know, worked for myself, but I was working plenty enough that I'd blessed over there for two, three, four days at a whack. And, and you know, so to keep baits steadily working – it just wasn't really that, you know, feasible. And, and I was always able to use some rig dogs so that, and, you know, it worked out good enough for me. I was always a little jealous, you know, starting young dogs, getting them on a lot of them. Those, those baits are sure beneficial. But um, another challenge I found though, is that being over there, um, you can't really go anywhere without rigging off of somebody's bait and I'm just some dumb kid from Montana rolling down the road and get a strike, you know, <coughs> and dump dogs. And, you know, then you end up bumping into some guy a week later and he's like, you're the one who's been running off my baits, you know. <laughs> and you're like, gosh, I've, I, I, you, you know, I didn't know they had baits down in that draw or whatever. Sure. And, uh, I, you know, you feel bad because it's like, but every bear in the country is on their baits because their baits are pretty rocking. And, right. you know, whether they're outfitters or whatever and got a bunch of bait sitters or or they're bait sitters. And so that was a little bit of a challenge to try to find a little corner of the world that I wasn't bothering anybody, but also I was able to, uh, but that, but that actually still had some bears in it. Cause those, the, a lot of those long-term, uh, you know, historical bait sites are pretty effective at keeping everything dialed in in those places. So yeah, they get them established and man, yeah. we, you know, there's so much work in maintaining a bait. Yeah. Especially out, in Idaho, because the regulations say, what is it, 200 yards from vehicle access? Yeah, I think so. So that means you're packing, you know, you're packing yeah. bait up the mountain, or yeah, you're going up or down one one direction or the other for sure. Yeah, I remember one bait Larry had out there that was down the mountain, and it was a pretty good walk. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. decent walking. It was good. It was it was easy walking. It was a gentle slope down, and I always like. I always like that bait, you know. You're right. Yeah. If we're gonna run a bait, that's the one. Let's I'll, do the one I'll, on the one coming back empty. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think, you know, back to the whole, you know, for, to wrap up the thing about bait night. Um, 
I had intentions, but there's also a sense even now um, where our season there in Montana that we got, which maybe we can get to into a little later, but but you know there's no baiting obviously in Montana, mm-hmm. and um, we have this short little season that's really early, but it it has been a um, you know I don't really want to build dogs that are dependent on bait in any form or fashion. You know it's it's imperative to have good strike dogs to to hunt. Mm-hmm. at home and so <clears throat> even um last year i did um draw it on resident idaho i just just and i was kind of thinking about throwing a bait in and you know it's better to just and you thought no i'll just run off somebody else's <laughs> well that that's a challenge <laughs> like i said and and i can see though like back to we're talking about challenges in different places you know I, it does get hard when you got a whole crew that always hunts this area and they've got a lot of good baits and you know, guys start, you kind of get out of your own little neck of the woods. You start ruffling feathers, I'm sure. Right. right. So, um, that'd be a challenge for sure. But you know, where I'm pretty spoiled, we've just got unlimited public and, and, uh, um, and not, you know, there, there can be a lot of guys, but there's plenty of space. And, and that's the main thing that I try to explain. Like I, I'll run into guys <clears throat> in Virginia or whatever, and, and you're hunting, you know, they'll talk about the Jefferson, Washington Jefferson National Forest being millions of acres, but it is a huge, you know, chain of public land, but it's narrow and it's broken up. And so it's not unusual to, to run a bear out of that area and end up on private or, or something in that, you know, something like that. Whereas in the West, the it's unbroken there might be a small little piece of private and and but the space is just unbelievable you can drive for seven or eight hours in you know the north north fork country down there in idaho and and never worry about being in any private the the closest private is 25 miles away yeah for sure i mean you know all that's changing out west it's just amazing you know little chunks that we were able we've been able to use as pri- as public for years that were maybe big blocks of timber company land and stuff and those places are selling off and they're building houses and you know we're seeing there's a lot of fragmentation um you know mining claims and somebody ends up that's that's never been a deal it's been there forever and mm-hmm. you know you might trail a lion through this little strip of gravel down in some creek draw but now all of a sudden it's all you know they've got signs on it and you know but it's the only way to hike to the other side of the drain or something so you kind of almost that dumb little strip down the bottom might ruin a whole creek drainage you know because you know you're going to end up over there Um, but some guy builds a little house in there and and he's he's protecting his little lady foot strip of of gravel down the creek like it's like it's some sort of precious gold (laughs) and you know it's it's his land. He can do what he wants. I'm, I'm right. respectful of that. But, but you do start seeing. So it's amazing how like a, a small twenty acre parcel in the middle of a whole bunch of public can still ruin that piece of publics. You know, it's like you still we are found afraid to get in there. Oh man, we found a spot, and uh, you know, it, it, Larry Anderson was a common friend between them both of us. Yeah, you know, I mean, he was just we're referring to Larry. Yeah, here today. we'll be we'll be for referring to Larry a lot in this podcast. But you know, Larry was the guy that that uh, I mean, he introduced me to the Western hunting 
in a way that nobody else did. I got to see all four seasons of the Rocky Mountains because of Larry Anderson. And uh, it, was, it was a valuable thing. But, but anyway, <clears throat> we found this spot west of where Larry lived there. And Larry started calling it Hoosier Holler because it was just so easy, you know. Mm -hmm. And me being from Indiana, it was a dig on me. It's like, oh, I even Chris Palkin hunting here. That's right. You know, this is Hoosier Holler. And, and so we're cruising down through there. There were always signs in there about being controlled by so-and-so gold mining company. And, and the understanding was always never had no trespassing signs on it, but it was always a deal where it's not public property, but nobody, there was no expectations. We even ran into some gold, gold mine employees there one time. And they're like, yeah, if we're not actively mining, just, just hunt it. Nobody, you know, it's no big deal. And uh, <clears throat> so we're cruising down through there. We hunted it in a couple springs. And then one fall before the fall season, all of a sudden there's people in there surveying and, and everything. And so Larry, being a people person, he pulls up and he rolls one today. He's like, hey, man, what's going on? The guy's wearing hard hats out in the middle of wearing – you know, the, the bright green traffic vests <laughs> yeah. out in the middle of the woods. And, and it's like, what are you guys doing? It's like, oh, we're surveying. We're going to open the mine back up. We're going to reclaim this property and, and mine it again. And and we got thought, and as soon as we pulled away, we were like, crap, Hoosier Holler is closed. You know, just yep. totally changed. And that was such great habitat down through there. But even in the middle of, of that big expanse, yeah. there was still still an obstacle. So, you know, we've we've gained a pile of people up in Northwest Montana specifically. I mean, other places always are too. But um, I mean, we we've gained probably a, th a third as many more residents as were there in the last two years. So. Yeah. What what is the population of Kalispell now? Uh, well, Kalispell proper is probably I don't know. 30,000 or something, 40,000, but with the flathead, but, but you've, yeah, it's kind of, you know, a conglomerate of a, a whole bunch of small towns that are all merging together right now. So it's crazy, but I think we gained 60,000 new residents or something like that in a year and a half, two years. It was like the number three fastest growing city yeah. in the U S you know, so COVID. we went from the flathead Valley went from maybe 80,000 in the whole air, you know, whole area, 50, maybe more like 50,000 in the whole area to, yeah, probably over a hundred, hundred twenty. I don't know. It's, it's, it's growing. It's I enough mean, you're feeling it. You feel it. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, you got big billboards all over saying, you know, go back where you came from. Montana's full. You know, like oh, there's yeah. a lot of resistance from the locals that are feeling it. You know, but I can't blame them. I mean, a lot of them are coming from Washington and California and and those cesspools. Sure. So I mean. If they, I mean, if they have half a brain, I I would get out of there as quick as I can too. Um, an interesting side note on that is, you know, our state was voted pretty dang conservative this whole last couple cycle. This whole last cycle, I mean, more conservative than it has for years after the influx of of people from non out of state. Well, they're so fleeing. They're fleeing the I, liberalism. I think, I think we are. I think we've yeah. gained a lot of. A lot of that, and, and I mean, that actually, to be honest, is a big component. The way that they voted, our state voted, uh, um, was a big component in us having the right current climate to be able to, you know, get legislation passed. Yeah. To have a bear season with hounds. Sure, so sure. So, 
I, I haven't seen it all as negative, but boy, you know, I don't know. To somebody who's used to having a lot of space to themselves, it you start feeling it when just just people in the woods, you know, just just people out and about, and you know, places I never ever see anybody and have yeah how many days did you drive by macarthur lake and never saw anybody and now you drive by and there's like 15 vehicles sitting in the oh yeah and like all the campgrounds are just yeah. packed, packed all the time and and people are using the woods too you know we noticed that in after like the whole covid deal you know a lot of these people were laid off and whatever i mean that spring there was just campers everywhere people just left town and went out in the woods and, and they kind of never quit you know they it, it, it's busy, busier. So, I mean, I complain compared to a lot of places in the country. Uh, we got a lot of space and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. So it's good to go and see something like that. So I'm, I quit moaning about my own little. Well, what kind of obstacles do you think that that's going to bring down the road though? I mean, you're looking at, you know, first generation, you got mom and dad that are like, we're tired of, you know, whatever's going on in the city and riots in the street and, and the liberal agendas from San Francisco and Portland and Seattle and and yeah we'll go to Montana and and we'll we'll be good conservative voters in Montana, but then it comes in comes down to you know these people getting on the town boards and wondering why your water system isn't the same and then you need green space and you need this and you need that and before you know it you've got a whole next generation of liberals they always drag what they came from wherever they go right. i mean it might not be right away but ultimately they that that's just always the trend so, sure you know we we definitely try to resist that i mean you know but it's sad feeling the the tidal wave cuz it's there's nothing really nobody you know. likes change i mean no I'm, and you can't you can't stop it i yeah. mean that's the sad reality of it is is it's coming whether you're ready or not well so. it's like the 406 club down in derby sure. you know larry and i used to stop there on our way north or our way south we'd stop there on our way south and we'd stop there on our way north back and forth to work in Kalispell. and um you just go in and walk in and sit down at the bar and eat a ribeye steak right off the bar yeah and now you can't even get in the th place. You got to wait forty-five minutes to get in. It's like, what happened to this? You yeah. know, I don't like that. No, no, it's it's like I said, change is hard. Um, you know, I I try to have a a pretty open mind, I guess. You know, and we've talked here all all morning and last night and stuff. And I I try not to moan and complain about it too much because it sure doesn't help any. I know that. Sure. And <laughs> but but it is really hard. Well, coming from what I grew up with and all the you know mm -hmm. and and the culture that surrounded that area was, you know, ranchers and loggers and, you know, farmers and, and, you know, and then, you know, that whole community to where it's a hundred percent tourism based almost now. And I mean, there still is that element, but, you know, just our landowners up there, just lots of super wealthy with lots of extra, you know, their third and fourth homes on all the lakes. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've been a builder a lot of my life too. And, you know, that's I've made a living building multi-million dollar houses for rich guys too. So I can't. Yeah, no doubt. You know, and I've gotten to be a part of building some incredible stuff that if I was building for, you know, pole barns for farmers or something, you know, I, I'm grateful I'm not doing that. Um, there is a lot of you know economical benefit to the area, obviously having all that money rolling around, but the, it isn't necessarily always the people that I'd like to see. Um, we've 
you know, just and I think as a culture in the country, that's just I don't know. People have changed a lot. Well, I think I think it presents a good opportunity there. You know, you talk about running into people in the woods and things like that. Uh, you know, it's like, what are you doing here? What do those dogs do? You know, because I don't care if they came out and they voted for, you know, whoever conservative. That's not part of their culture, and they're not sure where they're at with that. And and they've heard all of the the media and different things that have come along, and and the narrative and Facebook about you know, uh, they they that that say that houndsmen are evil and bad, and and there's an opportunity, but there's an opportunity there, just like there's an opportunity for you to make money, there's an opportunity there for you to help educate them and tell them the truth about it if you'll just take a few minutes and stop and talk to them yeah for sure they're curious yep yeah and i've i've traveled around and hunted a fair bit and it always has been a neat um like i've always appreciated those cultures in those areas where it's it's extremely historic you Mm -hmm. know i spent time in utah and we you know looked at trying to move there spent quite a bit of time in idaho over the years and and everybody just walks up to you like you know, knowing full well that what you're doing, you're like, oh man, you seen any critters? You know right. what you find, and uh, man, and my uncle was a bear hunter, my grandpa was a bear hunter, and man, I'd love to go again, or, or they, you know, don't like them, one or the other. You know, there's usually two camps. It's, but but like, I I'm always amazed at how everybody is familiar with the activity, mm-hmm. and like in Montana for the, you know, a lot of people are obviously there's a yeah long it used to be his- that way in Montana. of, of of you know cat hunters especially but right um but it is very much in the winter it's not the same because we don't interact if it if you only have legal season structure to hunt in the winter you're not going to interact with the level of public as you do in the spring and the sure. fall yeah and so they just don't see us we're out there when they're ice fishing even the you know recreational people that are in the wood you know that do would be in the woods in the winter or in the summer and so um, so that was an interesting component, you know, even in our spring season we've got now is that, yeah, you just end up interacting with people cause they're, they're, they're parked at a trailhead sure. in their hike into a lake or yep. they're, uh, or they're out camping with their family and here you're roading dogs by, you know, on a forest service road somewhere and they see them or, or people out berry picking in the summer or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it, it has been a, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to interact with more people. And, and it wasn't like we intended to do that, but you just kind of flew under the radar a lot when you're out there sure. in the middle of February and, and there's just no, nobody else is out there and some trappers or somebody, you know, but, right. um, so it has far, been firewood cutters. Yeah. Well, yeah. if they're cutting fire in February, they, they should have been getting out there. They should have been getting after it earlier. Cause you better believe it. Yeah. Uh, but you, yeah. You see a few of them. I remember going up the road and up there one day in tally and there's this, if you buy a forester's fire permit, it says no no firewood cutting on. I can't remember what the number of that road is. You know, ten ten eighty or whatever. No firewood cutting on that road. Uh, and and I'm driving up the road, and here this guy's got this green larch just smoked right down the road. You know, which you can't cut green <laughs> right. trees anyway. And if anybody had know, you know, you know, your larch, western larch, or trees lose all their needles. They're, larch pine. Yeah, they're. Yeah. Uh, they lose all their needles every year, so they, to an unknowing person, they might think they've died. It's a dead. It's a dead. It's a dead it's tree. A dead lodgepole. Yeah, yep. yeah. What's interesting about that is there's like all, all 
you know, conifers will lose all their needles and they cycle. Yeah. But, you know, some of them have on a five-year cycle and they replace every needle. And some of them are on a three, firs are on a three-year cycle and pine are on a three-year cycle, I think. Well, your western larch, you know, they just lose them every year. Every year. Yeah. So they're yep. not a deciduous like some people might think. But anyhow, this so, yeah, so they got this big, gorgeous, you know, three log large trees smoked right down the road <laughs> trying to burn burn burning some blocks off her with the old poulon and and uh <laughs> they're stuck in the ditch with this pickup with bald tires and you know that you can kind of imagine and i i pull up there of course i just want to get by them so i can get get keep hunting and but you got to drag this guy out of the road and out of the ditch and help him get out of there and you know, you finally get them out of the way enough and you get to where you can drive around them and you're like, man, you know, I'd hurry up and get the heck out of here or, or, or get that thing cleaned up and take it home because I was like, you kind of ain't supposed to be <laughs> cutting firewood on this particular road. And But you can see that. Uh, and you're not supposed to be green cutting, cutting green large. You can't grow green large no matter what, and you can't cut on this. This is one of the few roads in the entire, you know, national forest in this area, the Flathead National Forest, that you can't be cutting a, a tree on and uh even a dead tree standing tree and uh but you can just see that you know these are just a couple deadbeat dudes that are that are uh him and his buddy and they're you know his wife finally with california plates that they haven't switched over <laughs> yeah. yet his wife finally <laughs> got tired of burning the furniture and she's like booted him out of the house you worthless coal go get some firewood today and so he wanders out there and drinks a beer with his buddy and smokes, look at this dead tree smokes a big green yeah you always yeah, you, you look at the stump and you wonder how somebody didn't die. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, man, I love, yeah. So the everything's going to change. I mean, it's it's always changing. But the, the cool thing, one of the conversations we've talked about since you've been here is, you know, some of your observations from going from pretty much being – a loner and you know hunting by yourself in the rockies to go into the bear hunting culture of wisconsin yeah yeah like i said i think it gave me a great appreciation for their sense of community you know these guys are i just got a little glimpse I'm, i can't speak to by any means the whole thing but the, the fellows that i was there with are you know just good solid humans regardless mm -hmm. but but you know they 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 respect each other, and I mean probably not every day, but but you know they work together. They kind of all have a common goal. They all kind of work with the same plan in general, and um, you know they they're even kind of working together genetically with some of the dogs. You know, mixing pups back and forth where they can keep keep and prove out some crosses, which is super helpful for anybody. Yeah. You know, um, and. You know, and the young guys coming up, there's a lot of mentorship that goes on that these young guys get to learn from the other guys. And I'm sure the older guys had the, a similar experience where they were fairly mentored yeah. into the sport where, you know, in our country, I mean, it, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to, to get to know a few guys, but I still really didn't get a chance to hunt. I mean, I would go and tag along with somebody if they'd let me and I mm -hmm. would learn a pile. But but it's it's not the same unless you were born into it. Um, it there, there is kind of an aversion to entry in our country up by us and not as much anymore you know gps have really changed that um made it more accessible to a lot more people um and and there's of course obviously always somebody that'll take you along or whatever but and, and not that guys don't hunt and cruise up to, up by us too but 
you know, as a general rule, I was just impressed at their level of, you know, respect for each other and their kind of cooperation in, in a race even, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the communication on the radios and, and, you know, I felt like a coal, you know, I had a one long hard running race and, and, uh, we'd pack some dogs in and had a couple dogs falling out and a couple of mine fell out and one, one, when we were trying to catch up dogs off the road, she slipped by. I wasn't actually there. I was looking for another dog. Well, meanwhile, this other kid runs in there and goes, gets my dog, brings him out. And, and then when I finally drive up and around, uh, you know, those guys went in and got my other dog for me and brought her out. And I'm just sitting like a road toad up here, just waiting for everybody <laughs> to bring my dogs and gather them up for me, you know, but you know, they were, I mean, they were happy to do it. it and that's just a normal occurrence. You know, I, I've never had anybody go get my dogs for me in my life. You know? sure. <laughs> it was like, yeah. That was like, you know, like, like an interesting thing, but I could, I, I and mean, I would be happy to do that for somebody else, obviously. Sure. So it wasn't like I, but it, it is a, a kind of a sense of community and a cooperation. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you know, you, you see that in, in the organizational structure of the Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association yeah. in Michigan. You know, all these groups that are, they're strong in numbers and they're strong in community. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a very much a Midwest quality anyway, you know. Um, you know, the, the, the Midwest nice kind of. We don't have big snowy covered mountains <laughs> and millions of acres to hunt on, so we got to hang our hats on something. And, well, and you got to get along. Yeah. You know, you just yeah. do. If yeah. you're going to do it, you need to get along. And if, and if you're the kind of guy that don't get along, you're going to probably burn a lot of bridges and, and right. you're going to have nowhere to go. You know? Sure. So, I, anyway, I just, I just was impressed by that for sure. And, um, and, um, you know, do you think, think do, do you think more of that that's completely different do you think there's more of the loner type attitude and maybe a little more contention in the rocky mountains than there are what do you i don't know i mean I if, think, if if the community part stuck out to you mm-hmm. then um is that because it doesn't exist no it does it does and and it exists in little It'll ways you just there's just a lot more lone rangers in our country mm-hmm. where we're really they live there to be alone we yeah. want to be alone we really don't care what anybody else is doing we're out there doing our thing we don't really care if anybody knows about it right <laughs> you know i'm doing this for me i don't do this for anybody else right and and you know and so um you know and and I'd also say that those same kind of John Wayne, do-it-yourself, you know, tough, you know, that guys that are kind of aspiring to that um, that image or that uh, <laughs> identifying themselves that way. Sure. A lot of them, you know, tend to be a bunch of, you know, either they're, they're, uh, they're not. Um, what, I've, what I've seen is a bunch of guys that are the, in the West – there also a lot of them though are real jealous. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are real jealous and real territorial. Okay. And, and real, you know, you know, what are you doing up here? Kind of a thing, you know. Well, that's and, a crazy thing. And, I've, I've said this before. It's like when you hunt in Virginia, if you if you pass six trucks, you know, of another group in your area, it's kind of like typical day on the mountain. And out west, if you pass six six trucks on the mountain it's like holy crap where'd all these people come or you, from or you see one set of tire tracks up up yeah. there that you haven't seen all winter and oh we were like, d- yeah you know you're like 
who the heck's up here, you know? It's funny to me because, like, I don't remember where Or if I, you don't rut, drive in the ruts after somebody's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, go screw the friggin' road up. I, I, what was funny last year, I bumped into um, this guy, and he moved here a year or two ago or something. I don't know where he's from. I, I didn't even really get to know him or anything, but um, he, he didn't want to talk. But I was up there hunting, me and my son, and... You know, for the last several years, though, I've been primarily hunting on the road, you know, staying in other parts of the state. And so I, I hunt on the weekends when I'm home and I hunt, you know, in weeks that I'm not working for the state. But I don't pound the country at home like I used to. Yeah. You know, and I go up there and I'm hunting in this area that I've, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and I could think of 100 trees I've been to within a couple of miles of there. Right. <laughs> and and hunted. um and, and anyway, and this guy comes flying up the road, and I just kicked the dog out. And he treated me, he's like, who the heck are you? And what are you doing in my 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 mountain, he says. And I'm just like, who the heck are you? <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, and he had just moved there from Washington. And, you know, he hunted in Washington before that is what I gathered. And, and you know, anyway, but it was just a funny because, you know, it, it goes both ways. Sure. You know, where he just hadn't seen me in there all winter. And it, it doesn't mean that I... It's, you know, so anyway, that was an interesting What experience. was the biggest cultural, we get, I want to talk about cultural differences, and then I want to talk about, you know, dog work differences. I, I want to get into dog work differences. But what was the biggest cultural difference that you saw coming from, you know, never been to Wisconsin before, and then here you are, from Marion, Montana to, to Wisconsin? I mean, you know, culturally, I just would say the cooperation between people. Um and, hmm. and I can only say that too. Like, like I said, it wasn't beer at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and some... you don't drink beer. <laughs> we'll just get that out there. But that yeah. had to be a shocker. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was disappointment to a few folks. I think, but, um, <laughs> but, but uh, uh, I think mostly um, just that that level of cooperation. And like I said, that it's not totally fair to me to stereotype our country is everybody being independent because there's plenty of guys in our area that all work together and they enjoy yeah. the camaraderie of everybody. I've seen that. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you know, you guys got to, what are you guys up to? You know, Hey, we lost a hound up here. Well, Hey, I'll sure give you a call if I see it, you yeah. know, and I, I know, I've seen that firsthand. I oh, know that absolutely. Happens. And I mean, we, everybody will help each other out. Sure. It, it, you know, but, but there that's a necessity to being successful, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe not completely. I'm sure you can, you know, find a little hole and especially if you got a lot of time and you're not pounding the weekends and fighting that you know, like if, if but if that's you're working a real job and and you know, you better find a crew that treat you know, that you treat good and you yeah. you're you have to make sure that you're holding up your end of the deal and you're valuable to them and yeah. you're you're helping baiting and you're helping doing the work and you're um and then they're happy to, you know, let you come in. Um, the, yeah, that was an interesting component there. Um, socially, the, the, uh, the other thing to me, just, just the difference in terrain, you know, I mean, it's flat as a pancake, you know, and, <laughs> and, and the, I mean, I've made a living in the woods my whole life, you know, right. logging. Or and I've hunt, seen where, hunting. I've seen where you've logged and it's like, you need to be tied off to log the places you've logged. And I don't know how you so, do it. But I mean, I've never... I mean, I got a mite turned around once in a while here and there, but I've never been in a position where I just was like, had no idea which direction I'm looking. And everywhere I go in 
in this country, I have no idea where I'm at. Like I'm in Wisconsin. Just, yeah, or even yeah. here. I'm just like it's it's so crazy to me. Like I'm pretty sure. Like I need a compass <laughs> to, to <laughs> here, pretty bad. And that's a weird. It's a weird feeling to me, just because you know I've just grew up my whole life in the brush and found my way in and out of places in the dark. No big deal. Like I never right. had this feeling like I didn't know where I was. Well, you know, but such and such peak is. You can always see landmarks. Yeah. You can, yeah. all, you can, you know, or head down the creek. The creek's in the bottom. You know, mm -hmm. what I mean, and that creek comes out down here, and this road crosses that, or, or you know, yeah. head to the ridge, and you can, that ridge will take you off, and there's a trail that comes. You know, it's like you know these, the the terrain drives you know your ability to navigate. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, for there, it's just blocks and and. Uh, just green leaves just in every direction. Green leaves everywhere you look, and 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 you get so distracted swatting skeeters that you forget where you <laughs> went. And no, but I mean that's all joking, and you know I wasn't like completely helpless. But the point being is that like I was like that's a real legitimate challenge, you know, yeah. like like uh, is a, is awareness, and to me that that was a real uh, uh, eye opener. Um, you know, plus plus all the vegetation's the same. You know, we have a lot of varying vegetation different you know cut cut lines or just natural openings or or you know you get down in this place all this stuff grows i mean a lot of the same it, just because it's 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 all exposed to the same sunlight it's all exposed to the same weather y you know it's a very continuous habitat that is uh so so that was a definite eye opener and new experience to me well when we taught we went through the land navigation courses and stuff in the marine corps and and then of course while we were working and stuff as in my job, you know, there's a, such a thing as being like a right foot dominant person. Naturally, if you try to take off walking on flat ground and you're, you're right, you're right foot dominant, you'll actually stray off and start cutting to your left. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're in the Rocky Mountains, you don't just accidentally go up a rock face. You know, you know that that, you know, your side hill and then it's there and you don't, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm right foot dominant. So I'm going to, I'm going to drift off and change elevation by 200 feet where you're on flat ground before you know it you know you're thinking okay we're going this way and and we're talking you know distance but when you're dodging brush and doing different things before you know it if without the the visual it's it's if you're not used to being in it and you don't have that internal thing it's like it's not hard to get turned around and and i've always prided myself on even being inside a building somewhere and knowing north, south, east, and west, just, you know, it's, but I've been in woods right here at night in flat woods that I've been in 20 or 30 times. And we were walking out one night and a guy I was hunting with, he's like, don't we need to go over here? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And I, I look at my garment, sure enough, you know, so it can happen and it can happen real easy. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I was grateful that you know those guys kept me lined out and kept me from wandering around for a while. They have to holler you back to yeah, the truck. They never did that, but uh, honk you know, your horn. I I do have a, uh, and of course I did have a Garmin, so I could I could breadcrumb my way out of there. But I think Garmin's have dumbed me down so much. You know, I'm so used to looking at the Garmin and and you can see your backtrack and everything else. So there's a lot of times where I'll just like 
I'm walking in here. I know the dogs are treated there. I don't need my garment out and put it away and, and come back out. Now, this, this country down in here is not hard for me at all. I never get lost well, down this here. Well, this, this is the you know, hills. This is really, and, yeah. and they got a lot of defining I've been features. Lost in, I've been lost in northern Indiana cornfields for longer, th- and that's miserable. You know, <laughs> no. you're trying to side, you're cutting crossroads of corn, corn, and you can't see anything except corn all the way around you. Yeah, and no. before you know it, you pop out on the road. And you're like, where the heck am I? You know? Yeah, no thanks. That doesn't uh, appeal to me. There's an awful lot of corn, though, between uh, here and Montana. That's, I can guarantee you that. Holy smokes. So, yep. yeah, definitely that was that was unique. And then, you know, talking about the dogs, we, um, um, well, first and foremost, I, I everywhere I've gone, I, I truly, my, my philosophy on it is a good dog is a good dog is a good dog. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're going to if they're given time to acclimate and, you know, learn, learn how to handle whatever it is that you're asking them to do, they're going to perform well. Um, there's obviously, you know, different, definite skill sets and, uh, tools in the toolbox that are more useful in certain parts of the country or necessary, maybe right. That you can get away with in other place and, and be successful, but there's no way you're going to be successful in another piece of ground. Um, those guys' dogs obviously were great dogs, and 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 uh, they've um, they got a great system. Um, one component that is interesting is you know they don't really. I mean, I, I mean, how I, many I, states have you hunted in? You've hunted, you've hunted Montana, Idaho, Colorado. Uh, yeah, Colorado, Wyoming, Wyoming, New Mexico, New Mexico, Arizona. Nope. Utah. Utah. Nevada. Nope. Um, That's probably it. Yeah. So you, I mean, you've been from the northwest down to the the you know the high plains desert all yeah. the way down to New Mexico. Yeah, with varying levels of success at different times. Obviously, sure. you know, I mean that. So it has been a great. I I really have appreciated that experience because what I've found is that every time you might struggle along for a while with dogs that were banging it up in another area, mm-hmm. and you know. But eventually, once they start clicking, once they start figuring it out, they they all of a sudden look good, and you give them the time, they acclimate, you know. They but but sense different, that it handles different. The, yeah. The, you know. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. Hey guys, have you checked out OnX? Seriously, I'm coming off of a two-week trip in northern New Mexico, and I cannot tell you how important Onyx was for me. It was a deal where this is an easy product for me to talk about just based on a two-week experience. When you go into new country, and I've never been in the Paloma Ranch country, 
northern New Mexico before. With all the features and Onyx, I was able to get a really good grasp on that country and understand it at a level that I never could have any other way. There's features in there about tracking yourself so you can make your own tracks and keep track of where you've been. And that's important when you're when you're trying to navigate and head off hounds and, and learn trails. It's sped up the learning curve so quickly. Uh, and terrain features, you can look at topo maps, you can look at, at like heat maps that show you the degree of angle so you know where those big drop-offs are know where your dogs are headed. I can't, I can't say enough about it. You just got to get into Onyx and check out all the features. Go to onyxhunt.com and get the Elite subscription today. Use the promo code HXP20 and you will get 20% off of your subscription, your annual subscription to Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. And it gives, it's always given me a great appreciation for the guys that are doing it there, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Um, there's diff, just every place has its own challenge, you know. Do you think a bear smells the same? Does a bear smell like a bear in Montana as a New Mexico bear to a Wisconsin bear to a Virginia bear? I think a bear smells like a bear, but I think, I think the concentrations of scent based on Do you on think the, bears can pick up their scent? Uh, I haven't witnessed that, but... Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen very much, so we'll see. I, I think uh, I think uh, that's a loaded question, Chris. You do it is a loaded there, question. Right? There's an agenda behind uh, that question. I I have um, I think a bear smells like a bear. You know what I mean? But you don't I, think dietary? Yeah, there's, I mean, you, yeah, there's got to be some differences, but I I think a bear dog. I, he might not strike on the first bear he smells, but I, the second he smells. It knows that this is what he's looking for. He's gonna turn, you know. He's gonna crank. Right. Is that if that makes sense? I don't think it's like if if my dogs. If you buy a pup from, if you got a Finnish dog that was a bear dog in Arizona, and you take him to Wisconsin and he stands on the road and stares at everything, well, you know, and you give him a week and you're running him with decent stuff and you know you've got bear tracks. He was never a bear dog in Arizona. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. That's, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Sure. Like, that, you, you know, and if that guy tells you, oh, yeah, well, the bears just smell different up there, well, then he hasn't. Maybe he wasn't being real honest with you. So uh, I, think, I, think, I think good dogs are going to thrive wherever they're placed. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Uh, like I said, I, I think uh, – but it does it, – it isn't always pretty at first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, even as a dog owner, you kind of got to give them dogs a little bit of a um, – I don't know, a little grace. You know, I – another thing I noticed so much up there, you know, the, the grass and the thick brush is um, – I'm sure there's thicker places than where we were hunting. But um, we've got – you know, we might have eight-foot deep blowdown. Mm-hmm. lodgepole blowdown or something well that's a definite obstacle for dogs to get through you yeah know, my dogs will be all tore up on their chest they'll have little scabs and stripes from climbing over heart sharp blowdown mm-hmm. running bears and you know but you know there it's peeling the stinking hair right off their off their ears and their eyes and and they're getting seeds stuck in them and they're you know it's like that grass is sharp um it takes a lot to just put their head down and bulldoze through something they can't see what's on the other side. You know, yeah. I'm sure that's the same for laurel thickets. I'm sure that's the same for different places. So 
you know, you, you work a bear on the ground out in the, you know, in the, either in a parked out, you, you know, Ponderosa Pine Park in, in New Mexico mm-hmm. up on the ridges or an Aspen Grove or, or, or an opening there. Those dogs can work. They can get away. They can really handle that bear, you know. You know, they, they go swimming through the thickets. And all of a sudden, this rough bear just stomps the living tar out of them. They didn't even see it coming. Well, those dogs are going to handle that pressure a lot differently. Right. And so they might be pretty confident working a bear and know how to work a bear, but they might get caught quite a bit because they're a little too gritty. They don't know how to give a little space when needed. So so there's so many different aspects to terrain that drives the style of dog you need to put the right kind of pressure on, but they got to have that mindset of just bulldozing and pushing forward in that country too. Like yeah. In Wisconsin, what I'm referring to. So I, I, um, every place has its challenges, you know, I mean, it, that's just the realities of it. And, and every place has good trailing days and every place has some bad trailing days. Right. And, uh, you know, some places have more good ones than bad ones. And so it's easier to hunt there. But if you hunt every day, you're going to have days when it's not easy. You know, that's just how it is. So, man, I think it's just important that you, like, have a good appreciation for what everybody else deals with. You, you know, know, so many times you roll into town and, and you know, you've had successful, you know, you've had some good success with your dogs and, and you put them down on and something that they should be able to take. Everything else is taking it or everything else is rolling that day and that's your turn and, and you you. you put your dogs down and they just look like they've never looked at a bear track before they don't understand <laughs> what's going on and and at that point you know you you it's it's you know what you got you yeah. know you know that that these dogs have already caught 40 bears in montana from april to june and we had a good season and and now i'm up here and they just don't look sharp they're not popping I th- I I think it's just an acclimation thing, you know, just like you, uh, you know, being on flat ground and being like, which way's the truck? They're like, yeah, which way's the truck? Which way's the truck? <laughs> which way's the bear? <laughs> you know? I think you know, and, and it was in it was neat to see, you know, we we kind of were just had just broken over that hump. It wasn't like they looked like a bunch of slappies the first day, but it was just you could look at them dogs and re, you know be like, yeah, they just traveled twenty mi- you know twenty yeah. hours and yeah, hard, and, travels hard, yeah, and uh, and you know they're in a place they didn't really know and and um, they just didn't look on point, you know, and then as the week progressed, you know, and the, the, those guys and I they were we were talking about that, you know, um, you know. Cody and Drew were both that way. They're just like, yeah, man, I was pretty amazed to see like that last day. Those dogs were cranking. They were, mm-hmm. they were learning to get caught up and learning to pack in. And you know, my dogs, I don't typically pack dogs. I just haven't. Or anybody pack too? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, when yeah. you're out there by yourself. Yeah, and also, you know, you just dump the box because you probably aren't going to be able to get dogs in this race. They're going to be yeah. too far in there. Right. You're not going to have opportunities. You know, the one t- or two times that a bear does come and cross the road, you're wishing like heck you would have saved a dog, but maybe some once in a while, I don't know. But I've also, I'm a sport hunter. I'm not like, I'm, I'm, if I get flat beat out ran, if I dump the whole box and I got six, eight dogs, whatever I'm packing and they run 22 miles 
and that that bear they didn't put enough pressure to tree that bear or whatever i come back tomorrow i go run something it, mm -hmm. my life will go on i'm I, I you know if i'm outfitting or something i'm going to maybe put some more things in my own favor to save some dogs back be a little more strategic about how i i plan out that race but my goal in life is keeping dogs good and keeping dogs tired and 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 i can accomplish that you know so you know, probably some bear hunters think that's kind of ignorant that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be a little smarter, but that, that's just the reality of how I've always operated is I dumped the truck, man. Just right. <laughs> yeah. Like Jim Harrell says, son, you ain't got no sense. He says, you just dumped the box. You, say, you ain't got no sense. Uh, uh, well, but, but getting back to the thing that, that caught my attention when you were, you know, when we were talking about this is the fact that You've been in hounds long enough. You're a good houndsman. You're observant. You're not just basing dogs look off. You've already taken into account that you've traveled 20 hours. Your ego is not riding on whether your dogs look like a million bucks that day. It's not going to ruin your day. You know, you're looking for the things that, okay, I know I'm not packing calls. So what is it that's off here? Yeah. And you start you start problem solving at that point. Yeah, and you just get you just let it go. It's okay. I think the cool thing is you just keep going. You know, just keep going. And 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 that's the key like with with a puppy that's struggling with things that don't look right. Don't don't get torqued off about it. Don't go beat the ribs and like just back out of it, man, and just keep going and keep going and keep going and mm -hmm. and you look back a few years and you're like, "Dang, that's a nice dog." Mm -hmm. You know, and most guys, I think they don't get to that point because they don't, they either give up on them or they create more problems by the way that they're treating those dogs or handling those dogs or their own emotions will actually. They're worried about what people are going to think about them. Yeah. Oh, this is Casey Stutzman, he, you know, he's a government hunter. I got a buddy of mine. We were out there hunting with him in Montana. He's got some bang up bear dogs. They've got you built up and they introduce well, you to people. And, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you turn your dogs loose and they look pretty common, yeah, you know, and then yeah. all of a sudden it's, you know, the, the person that's, that's not, um, the immature person who lets her, that lets their, ego control who they are you know they get mad about it and they start putting the boots to dogs and yeah. getting on the button and before yeah. you know it you've created a whole mess yeah you've created problems that didn't exist before. that you didn't need mm -hmm. if you just let so, it ride so yeah so but what i did see is they started progressing and i think we were just on the cusp of i, I it would have been really fun to stay a, a couple more weeks and then just really start looking on sure it, it, it was good like even i got a couple dogs there's independent to a fault and that's a valuable actually asset to me at times um you know and i he would not pack you know wouldn't you know he let out on a couple races and everybody caught him and passed him and and uh you know then he just didn't want nothing to do with it hmm. that kind of thing which now granted um uh he's by no means a slow dog but he you know He's just an independent dog. He wants to trail his own track. He wants to trail a track. A lot of bear hunters specifically probably can't stand a dog like that. Mm -hmm. um, I I have to catch lion hunting. I got to catch family groups, right? Yeah. So if I got dogs scattered catching three different lions today, all treed up, in this, that to me is valuable, you know. And and oh, so I get it. So so in your lion study work. You go in there and you, you turn loose on a female with two kittens. You want to catch 
You want to catch all three. I want so to catch you, all three. So if you've got dogs that will split up and yeah. tree yeah. the whole family group, boom, you've you've got your job done that day. Oh, and I get my job done in a few hours instead right. of having to, you know, or, you know, if everybody catches one, then I'm hiking circles around this group mm. trying to find an out track or casting. Yeah. If there's no snow, I'm casting dogs, trying to pick up, a, a, you know, wherever they left off. And, I mean, and you'll work your guts out trying to round up the whole group. It was actually an interesting thing because, you know, if you're just sport hunting and you catch one of the two or whatever, you're happy. You go home, we caught a cat. Yeah. You go try to catch all, every single one of them. And, and it's like, it's harder than it thinks some days. <laughs> but anyway, and I'm not saying like I specifically kept that dog for that purpose. Um, um, but I don't get too worried about, uh, you know, a dog that's real independent. He's, he's going to lead 90% of the races anyway. And, yeah. and so, I mean, he, I, I, he is what he is and I'm not. I'm not like even being critical of him, but in that instance, you know, he, he, he's not going to just catch up to dogs. Like, right. and, and then if he gets behind, you know, when they're behind, they kind of perpetuates being behind sometimes. Well, regardless, anyway, he, um, I can't remember what I was saying about him, but, um, um, by the end of the week though, you know, he was like, I, I turned him in and he just ripped up in there and got caught up and was right there with the lead dogs. And so what I'm saying is that a dog that, he he adapted to those conditions and what was expected of him and right. and was gonna you know he did just fine so those are the types of things though that you notice when you when you stay in if you just stayed there and you just kept going you'd see those dogs progress and and start looking on point with the rest of the dogs that are local dogs um, you know and I told you this story too you know you I went to Utah and I was rigging around I couldn't get a strike and I'd been catching piles of critters with these dogs and it just was a struggle, you know, mm -hmm. and it was, I was actually working down there. So I built a log home down there in four corners. And so I was hunting the San Juans and, and LaSalle's and some of that country up there. And, and, uh, there was a lot of other guys in there that spring and, and it was just neat country, neat to get to see that culture. And, but I mean, I, I was starting to doubt what I got, you know, I mean, these were good yeah. dogs and, and, and they were struggling, right. And, <laughs> and, and Anyway, this one real nice fellow that was a local kid there, he, uh, he'd been hunting up in there, and, and finally I, I ended up bumping along behind him, you know. We were driving up the road. His dogs just rock a strike, right? And What'd your dogs do? Oh, uh, they kind of started strike, struck a little bit, but these were really clean strike dogs at home yeah. and in Idaho, you know. And, it, and they, they didn't look very good, and... Anyway, he kicks down, and I kick a couple in behind him, and, and I think I think they trailed through. Maybe they even wandered around. And anyway, I did have a couple dogs there. We caught stuffed one in a hole in the rocks. And uh, anyway, hiked in there with him, and and dogs bait on this thing. And and uh, the next day I went hunting. Boom! Struck a bear, caught a bear. Next day, struck a bear, caught a bear. Struck a bear, caught a bear. What, just, what caused that? What do you think it is? I, I truly, there is definitely that that conversation about like do bears smell different mm -hmm. maybe that's some of it maybe it's that they were looking for you know um let's just refer to it in in weight but like let's just say his dogs n knew that a fresh track you know smells like a half a pound right mm -hmm. my dogs have been striking on a track they're looking for a three pound track right and maybe they're smelling those things but not 
to them, that's it's not, not registering in their brain. This, you know, I've ran bears at home and I get a whole nose full. Sure. And I know I can do this, but they haven't realized that. Yeah. Boop. And it's that's, not. That's as good as it's going to get today. So I, a dog with high prey drive. Yeah. We'll figure that out. And and it's not that I, you know, I don't just turn out on a rock and strike rock shakers where I'm expecting. I mean, if I get a clean bump. You don't and, cherry pick? Well, I mean, you know, no. I, <laughs> to, to a fault, to be honest. I waste a lot of days and a lot of time when I should just drive around the corner and get a box shaker. And right. instead, I, I rig something that's 800 yards down the canyon. And, and I find a lot of pleasure in those dogs finally figuring out how to, you know, dive off the mountain 600 yards and hit that track that's down in the creek or um i think i don't i think you're, you're never going to develop super good accurate rig dogs if only if you're always just waiting for that box shaker you know man i'm um, telling you what it's it's one of those deals that i've seen it myself you know uh where you if you're willing to put in the boot leather the dog will never learn to take that track and and how far they need to travel to actually hit the track and take yeah. the bear to jump and and all that stuff if all you're ever looking for is the box shakers and making well, it easy it's a confidence issue in my opinion like you know cold trailing a, a cat or whatever is the exact same thing if if their whole time they're led to a you know a, a two-hour-old snow track you know when they come across a three-day-old track, even if they can register that it's a cat, they've never taken that track to a tree. They've never turned this old, this old track into a tree. Um, but if you can keep pushing and you keep going and you turn them out on old tracks and they, you know, that your percentage of finishing those races probably maybe that good is going to go down. But, um, um, but when those dogs gain the confidence, I always like. I mean, it's kind of maybe it's a stupid analogy, but I think I like the old uh, what's the guy uh, on uh, old Jim Carrey, you know, on Dumb and Dumber. He's, he <laughs> says, "What's the chances of a girl like you getting with a guy like me?" So you're saying there's still a chance. And and I want my hounds, you know, to say. So you're saying there's a chance. I want them. That's to, right. I want them to hit that scent and go. Yep, we're gonna get this done. We're gonna get this done. And they push it with that intensity and that belief, that hope that. They know that I can turn this old track into some into a tree, um, you know. But if they if you've never asked them to do that, it's not going to register, right? It's not going to register as as a as a as a catchable animal. They're they're still looking for that box shaker, and right. so they're not going to work hard on it. Um, and I'm sure there's certain propensities and 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 certain you know gene pools even that are have more prey drive to more more, sure. more intensity on mm -hmm. on less scent but but the the point i'm making is that I, I, anybody that hunts with me knows i'm i'm pretty bad that way actually that i i just kind of dump them you know <laughs> like i mean if i if they if i know it's clean and it ain't trash i put them down and i'll let them work you know let yeah. them let them work don't just throw them right back in the rig don't just keep driving on when they make a little circle how long will you sit there and let them work how, uh, how it, long would you sit there well it depends you know it depends on where you're at and what it is and why it is you know time of the day and and what where you think they're actually getting sent from is mm -hmm. it time of day um air currents i mean if you got some ripping thermals that are coming from way a long ways away it's probably pretty unlikely that you know, those dogs are going to get far enough but I'm watching it in these young dogs I've got here. They're, they're two and a half year old dogs, and and uh, 
you know, they're learning and going a long ways. And so I'm. And what really do you ex- consider? What, what do you consider a long way? Six hundred, eight hundred yards? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they but go, they're react, they're not just they're they're but they're reacting they're to scent. Their, yeah, but the challenge is a lot of times those little bumps on the air currents. You know, they'll be hover. You know, on the wind. Well, they hit the dirt. They don't have access to that same air current. Mm-hmm. And and so, but they'll be standing on their back legs and just keep working the direction they know it was coming from. And they learn how to work into the wind and work, 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 work. Before you know it, boom. And a lot of times those strikes are actually a pretty fresh track. You know, it might even be that it might even be the bear laid in the creek. Right. You know, they're actually getting body scent, you know, a little bit on the wind like that. And, and you know, you, you, they don't even really trail to a jump. It's just boom right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could easily, but it didn't cross the road. You know, I mean, it's a long ways from crossing the road. So, so you do, you do, if you give those dogs chance and it doesn't always work out, sometimes you're better off just to go move on. But, but if, if, if they can succeed in that situation, they get, they self reward by the fact that they cast it out 600 yards and kept their head in the wind and they finally hit that track. Well, then those dogs, they learn that real quick, and pretty soon the next time they're able to cast out a lot further, and mm-hmm. they, they, they stretch. But if every time you they hit the dirt and don't just blow out of the country, you know, and and then you just jump them all back up and drive ahead another 200 yards, and they hit another little little tiny scent, and you put them down, they run a little lap, and they jump back on the truck, like you know that perpetuates a behavior, just drives me nuts. Like so so okay, so you're driving down the road, you get that you get that bump. You jump out, you look for the track around the truck. You probably don't even look for the track around the truck because you know it's not going to be there yeah. because of your experience. But, okay, they get that, that, that bump, and, and you put them down, and they want to come back to the truck. What do you do? Um, how, do you, how do you overcome it? You a lot of times it, I just wait there, you know, and then they're kind of standing around like, let's go or whatever. Um, if, if mine are pretty good about making another lap lap around mm-hmm. you know what i mean they kind of check in and then they're like you know I, they don't get the you know they don't get my body language and energy doesn't say here let's just keep going so they'll make another lap sometimes they'll bump it then but if not i just start moseying my way towards that you know i just hike hike towards where i think that sense coming from mm-hmm. and try to push them out there but i try not to keep them in pocket you know and if that makes any sort of sense i want i'm just trying to kind of get them to move that direction, but I move slow enough that they don't just like file in line behind me and expect me to go show them something. Right. I want to, I just want to kind of like be like, let's just keep checking there. And I, and and I just, just try to keep letting them get to that area where, where it is, especially you're reading their body language. You're watching the way that their, their head hits the wind and they're, they're moving into the wind and you just keep moving them along in that spot where you're getting the little cues and they're, you know, you're getting a little bit of body language off that dog. So you're trying to put this together in your head based on this. You're read, trying to read this dog and how he's reacting to, to wind scent or whatever. Um, or ground scent if he's beating his tail and he's got his nose, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, and it doesn't always work out. You know, I mean, you're not going to start every one of those. But, so so but I'm, trying, I think I'm trying to draw a real clear picture here because this is something that I've been guilty of. Is It was really prominent when I was a canine handler. You know, I get it in my mind that this track should be going this way. So the reason I asked you all those questions is because, you know, how do you do it? Because it's easy to get 
in your head that you've already hit you've already hit your wind checker you know the wind's coming in your face you know that track should be ahead of you and all of a sudden you get a dog that's two or three hundred yards maybe up up above you on a ridge a little bit and it's real tempting to yell at that dog and say come on let's go this way you know because you've already got you've already made the decision in your mind that you know where the track is and in reality you have no idea where the track is you don't you can't you didn't smell that bear your dog did so the reason i wanted to go through that is i think there's a lot of value in you know putting that pressure on them without walking them without feeling but when they do start to exercise and get out there not to flip out about it yeah and think that and don't be a control freak over it they're 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 exploring they're looking shorty was really good about this i watched how he handled his dogs on mountain lions you know Mm. He have dogs 150 yards that way. He have dogs 200 yards to the to the left. He's got a dog 300 yards out in front of him, and and all of them are out there just working and exploring. And if one of them, you know, opened, then they were getting to him. Yeah, so, jets, jets. Yeah, we can we can put too much and put too much. I've been guilty in the past of putting too much pressure mm-hmm. on a dog, and keeping them underfoot. Well, the key with that. I mean, the one key with being able to do that is just you've got to have broke dogs. Mm-hmm. Because when they're out of pocket, right. you know, 400, 500 yards, I ain't worried about them. Mm-hmm. If they open, it's going to be right. Does that make sense? No. Yep. Granted, you know, they're dogs. But, but, but so the ones that I'm a little worried about, I'm going to be paying a lot more attention. And I'm going to, you know, I don't want that dog halfway across the mountain and, and then bumping an elk or something. Yep. Right? So, so your, your willingness and your patience is kind of directly correlated to how, clean, how much, how, how much trust you how have, much in trust the dog. you have in those dogs, yeah. which, which is why, you know, that you're doing the same thing, riding a, an animal and casting free casting those dogs. Yeah. You know, it, it, you just have to have, when you have dogs on the ground that are looking for their, they have to start their own game where you're not taking them to a track. You're not taking them to a bait site. You're not taking them to a track in the snow. You're not taking them to, uh, you know, to the kill. I mean, that's a little different because, because, but, but, you know, when you're not like starting them on the track. So what my way of thinking is that a hound, a big component in being a fully well-rounded hound is they should find their own game, mm-hmm. and, you know, the right game, and get it going the right direction on their own. Now. So this is another discussion. It's like that's one thing that like the Southwest is amazing for because there's really um, those dogs. No, no, don't get me wrong. Those guys will put down a dog on the track in the sand all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they'll they'll hunt the snow any chance they get or whatever. Some of them, some of them probably don't. But um, but as much as possible, um, I want to develop that skill set in those dogs to not be dependent on me just stuffing their nose in a track. Right. Um, now I live in a place where it's the only time I can hunt is December to April and there is snow cover from November to May. So I don't have like the luxury, you know, no, no, granted there's a lot of varying and it melts off through the middle and we get more and it's freeze and thaw and there's, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of challenges up with that. It isn't like perfect snow, but that junk but, we tried to hunt in and fit in March this year. <laughs> yeah. That one day yeah. that was bad. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and slushy frozen over slushy yeah. bare ground. 
Yep. Yeah, big terrible. mix of dirt and, and frozen yeah. ground and thawed out what was frozen last night. And right. Three feet of slush and yeah, there's there's we get some 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 uh, conditions that you probably be smart to not keep pounding away, but we're not smart. Sorry, we're not smart. <laughs> so I, I think though, um, back to this discussion though about dogs finding their own game. Um, I just think it, it's it's important to develop, and I, you know, similarly, you know, and I'm 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 bad about this at times, but I I try to. It just depends on the dogs and their own level of competency and stuff. But it's if I find a track in the snow, you know, go back and and road them dogs into that track, so that in their minds they're finding it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And it, and it helps perpetuate that when you are roading and there is no snow, that you've 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 learned several things about your dog you when they hit that track you're watching their body language and how they how they adjust to it or it so so i'm learning something about my hound watching it rode into this track that i know is sitting there Mm -hmm. you know um uh if or walk them walk them down the road whatever but like the in their brain they should be they're the ones that found the track they were looking for the track and they found the track Mm -hmm. So the next time you put them on the road, when they're rolling down the road, they have full anticipation and expectation to ke- to s- to start a track. Does that make sense? They're mm-hmm. not just running to – because dogs, they'll get to where they know that they're just running to run. And if you rode to exercise, you know, but you never start a track on the road, their expectation isn't necessarily going to be – I see that in mine yeah. because I've got to road them here, and they actually know – and it's always in the mornings – and we'll go, but I hunt in the mornings too. But they know that when we go out of here, that there's no attempt for them to go hunting at all yeah. around my side by side. And the trade off on that, I I end up suffering and paying the penalty. Sure. When I'm out hunting, you know my dogs aren't ranging out far enough. But, so. But there also is. I mean, if I'm trying to exercise dogs and get them legged up, and and there's not a local a, a legal season that I can hunt in. I can't really have these dogs blowing off the road, so I take them to places where I just need to get them exercising. Yeah, I wish I had. I that's wish I hard, right? So yeah, I wish I had sage fr- sagebrush <laughs> flats with nothing but jackrabbits and antelope for twenty miles. Yeah, and then I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, you know. Um, but back to that anyway, though, is that this trying to develop this this trait of of finding their own game and starting on tracks like. I'm not saying that you can't have amazing dogs that you've shown every track they've ever started, right? In the where I hunt and the legal structure of the season structure in where I live, it's imperative that I have a dog. I don't have sand. It's hard rock roads. Um, you don't see a track in the road very, very rarely, maybe in a mud puddle that rain, you know, or something um, in the spring. But I don't have the ability to confirm the direction my dogs are starting a track. In, in our in our spring bear season and and, um, um, and I don't have the ability to know what it is they're running so, right so so the key component in my opinion and that's this is the any free casting type of situation whether that's you know walking them hiking them down ridges roading them down a road um, um, putting them in front of livestock you know is the key component if you want to do one thing right get them broke <laughs> like so that you can trust them because if you can trust them 
then you can let you can be patient. If I, I can, if I get a little bump or I think they got a little scent, if I can trust them, I let them cast out there three, four hundred yards. I let them make some big circles. I give them a twenty minutes, half hour if they're not if that track didn't cross the road, so that hopefully they can slam into it. And and you know, but if I'm always worried that they're going to blow a deer out of there, I'm not going to be that. I'm going to keep a keep them pretty close to pocket. So yeah. So, so I think if you want to be successful. First and foremost, and this is coming from a guy who, who did nothing but had pretty trashy dogs for the first, you know, long time. And we caught a lot of good game, too, but we spent a lot of time running a lot of garbage. And, and, and so, so anyhow, that um, keeping them broke gives me a lot more patience. But then, then the other side of that is be patient and also just always try to let that dog um, stretch that dog out of its comfort zone. Let, and put it in situations where eventually it stretches its the, the, the just like I use the analogy of uh, so you're thinking there's a chance you know if if they can find success in some of those situations then pretty soon they're pounding away and they're pounding yeah. away and they're working harder and they're far more patient with the bad track and, and you're not worried about them because worried they're about out there doing bro- good stuff they're, they're not, not broke yeah they're all broke so I um so yeah that's uh a good thing. So it is, it's an interesting enigma because, like I said, I, I by no means am I trying to say that, like, it's a superior way to, to hunt. Um, that's just the, the legal structure in my state. I'm forced to utilize that method mm-hmm. during that, that time of year. Um, I'd, be, I'd probably put way more critters up a tree if I had baits, if I could hunt off a of bait. Right. Right, you know. Um, but so I'm trying to develop that skill set in these young dogs, and that's, you know, always a challenge. But uh, so, so you go to a state like – like these other places where really the primary form of starting a track is going to be over bait. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of good reasons for that. And, and it, I'm not, you know, um, it's not cause they're lazy. Let's put it that way. There ain't nothing about baiting that you, you, you're not lazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't be lazy if you're baiting. Right. So I'm not by any means making that association, but those dogs do get pretty dependent on that system and they get good at that system. They're smart too. And they learn that they learn how to handle that bait quickly and cleanly and make yep. a quick circle and find the out track and out they go, you know? So there's a skill set around starting a track off a of bait by, by all means. Um, but that is a difference. We were talking even a little bit about differences in dogs that you yeah, see. Yeah. I mean, you send it, you, you, like when I hunted off baits, first started hunting off baits. Yeah. The first time my dogs did, you know, you, you get a young dog out there and, and they just run in there, the bait and the, the baits tipped over and, you can tell there's been a bear there, and they're just sitting there going, there's been a bear here, yeah. there's been a bear here. I don't care yeah. that there was a bear. I know yeah. there was a bear here, yeah. but I like to see those dogs that get in there, and it's like there was a bear here, and that bear left somewhere, and yeah. I'm going to find it. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. And, you know, and mine are in there just hogging down on, on chocolate chip cookies Absolutely. You know? so, yes. No. <laughs> no, that's not true. But they, they, uh, <laughs> well, the other side of the bait thing, though, is that there was coyotes there. There was yeah. raccoons there. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of other things there. So, you know, the broke dog thing is universal. If you want to have success, get dogs broke. That's just universal. But, um, but I'm always in, um, but that, that, that I'm not, I don't always have a whole family of raccoons right in a spot where I dump my dogs into either. Yeah. Is that, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, anyway, just a, just a, you know, just an observation there. And well, we t- we had this conversation. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to be – who was that guy that you were talking about in the southwest that – I mean, he hunted coyotes and 
bear and lions and bobcats and maybe catch a fox. And oh yeah, I, I wish I could remember the name. Wouldn't of the book, would, but, wouldn't yeah. that be awesome just to have that kind of? It's like we're just we're hunting. Yeah, uh, that's the cool thing about you know hunting the terrier yeah. around here. It's like you know today we catch a weasel, today we catch a chipmunk, we caught a raccoon, we caught a possum. Yeah. You know he's the trashiest little thing ever, but he's fun. <laughs> oh yeah. But but you know you, you drive that many hours to go to, or if you're maintaining baits and trying to maintain bear dogs and stuff like that, you want to be target specific yeah. on that stuff. Yeah, you know? for sure. But, man, it wouldn't it be great? It's like, well, I was talking to uh, uh, Corey Siegler from uh, uh, Rough Cut Company. They use the same dogs to run run bear and coyotes. Sure. You know? And I'm like, man, how do you do that? Right. I, You know, I, I run I, – I try to break dogs off of coyotes, and Corey was just like, well, a coyote's a good race, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I, it was interesting. I, You know, these <laughs> fellas, I was asking them a lot of questions because I was – you know, a lot of them – wisconsin guys they run a lot of coyotes and and i was like do you use the same dogs or don't you and you know there's definitely a lot of guys that have better you know a few dogs that are way better coyote dogs some guys keep separate packs some yeah. guys and they're like no oh, we run kind of the same dogs and i don't think these guys specifically i think are pounding on the bears a lot more so mm-hmm. as, as a focus but but they're like no we they know you know the, in the, i in, believe in that. the winter those dogs know we're looking for coyotes and he says in in the in the in the spring, he says they start pounding bears and they'll leave coyotes alone and just pound bears. We don't yeah. have these mystery races. I'm sure it's definitely that's pretty dog specific. Individual dogs are probably all well. Different. We used to we used to have dogs that were trained that were you know situational awareness and also gear specific. You know, um, in the in the police world. So you, you know. Have like like markers, or, or you do do something consistent. Well, like when we're my dog, my dog activity. was a track. My dog was a tracking dog. She was a detection dog, where she could find things like in boats and cars and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And she was an area search dog. So for the tracking, it was always a, a full tracking harness that went on, and that harness went on the same way every time. She was getting the gears that I'm tracking. You know, when it was when it was uh, area search, we used the snap collar with a plastic buckle. You sit her down, and she hears that snap, and you could actually see her ears perk up. She knew what she was doing, and you cast her out there, and boom, she was doing an area search. She wasn't trying to track at that point. And through repetition, dogs are smart enough to figure that stuff out. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So, like w- around here, when I'm when I'm coon hunting, the I don't put dogs on the up on top of my rig to rig raccoons. Sure. You know, I keep them in the box, and I drive to the spot, and I turn them loose. Now, when I'm bear hunting, I I think that a dog is capable of learning that. They know when they're on the top of the rig, we're not coon hunting, because when I coon hunt, for one, it's dark, and I've been riding in the box. But now I'm on top of the box, so I'm bear hunting. And they, I think a lot of them, my dogs anyway, enjoy chasing bear more than they want to run a raccoon i jazz trashed on and on coons a couple times in the mountains you know and treed on some den trees that i know were coon den trees in the middle of the day and that that you know but she was six years old when i started hunting her and she was you know she's a coon dog her whole life and yeah doesn't make you proud you know right right and well and that might might be hard on uh if you're hunting with a bunch of folk but yeah yeah i think you know they definitely are smart you know the 
my Airedale have always been amazing about that. Like they know what we're doing. If we're going backpack, we're hiking. Yeah. They'll they'll blow a bear off the trail a hundred yards and come right back. Yeah. And he just they're letting us know that they're there and they're mm-hmm. keeping them off off away from camp or whatever. But you go you go out and turn loose on a on a bear track. They're they're hammering all day long. You right. Know? Same thing with cats. Same thing with the house cat at the house. Compared to you know, a cat in the woods or even a strange neighbor house cat that wanders through, it's on. Yeah. But they'll, they'll let, leave that one alone. So th- they're intelligent. Like they can differentiate and they, I, I, my Airedales were exceptionally observant. Like they're, they're analytical dogs. It, you know, I always love how, especially little puppy Airedales, they'll like stare at you and cock their head when they're just like yeah. sitting there like, you know, when, when you're talking to them right. and they're trying to figure out what it is you're asking to them, but you can just see their wheels spin and they're mm-hmm. really a really analytical dog in my experience. And so I, uh, they've been great for me in that capacity where I can do whatever I want. I, you know, my old Airedale, he packed my saw gas jugs when I was cutting, you know, and, and he, no kidding. Oh yeah. He, That's cool. He'd come in my strip with me and then I'd send him up the hill and tell him to get in his bed and he'd go lay down above me, you know, a ways and and uh um you know then you'd run out of gas you'd holler him down and he'd bring my gas and oil to me and stuff so it's a it's a um i was always worried about getting him hit <laughs> like losing a tree or something and, right you know so i i didn't do it a ton but he picked that up so quick yeah you know and so what my, the point being is that you don't give them dogs enough credit of their intelligence well the the first time calvin red red house you know out there he just walks down to the kennel and starts flipping gates open. That was really the first time I ever saw somebody do that. You know, Eastern coon hunting and even houndsmen, it's like you grab dogs and you put them in the truck where he just turned everything. And Larry would do the same thing too. And and um, they'd all end up at the truck. Mm-hmm. And I just got to thinking about that. So, so like here, I talked about the dog's you know, me going out and roading and not hunting. There's a difference. When I'm doing that in the morning, I'd never let the dogs leave here to just, they don't have a permission slip. Just as soon as you get out, you get to go run and go wherever you want. So every day when I'm roading here around the the property, then I just turn them, put the collars on them, turn them loose. It's all the same deal. They're just staying close and and they know what's up yeah now if i'm gonna hunt from here off the side by side i'll put them in the side by side load them up and put them in the side by side and even if i just ride from here down to the creek right here 200 yards and make a left turn and go 75 yards and then get them out and cast them i expect them to go yeah yeah they learn they learn and and through repetition i i was actually talking about this with with cody up there you know it's like you know it's a, my dogs are, are real habitual because I do everything very consistent. You have to, you know, and I that's th- just, and maybe it's my, maybe it's my own nature, but I, it's also, you know, to the dog. So I come here and everything's way different. Right. Um, when I'm, when I'm at home, you know, I don't, I, I pull up to a place and I open the whole box, all eight or 10 dogs or however many I'm packing, jump out, everybody cleans out. Right. I turn all the collars on sitting on the back of the tip pickup and I call each dog to me and I call them up and then I load them back up or put mm-hmm. them on the rig or put them in the box, whatever I'm doing. And from there we start hunting. So everybody gets cleaned out, you know, and, 
and you know, and obviously you got to pick that spot wisely. Right. But you know, I, I, I have places wherever I go that uh, this is where I do that. And those dogs know that spot cause they've, you know, they've cleaned out right there 25 times right. or whatever. And they, they, they know that system. So they don't hit the dirt balling and they're not all excited and they're not, you know, they know that this is the spot to clean out. Now, granted, you know, you, you know, See, I don't I, trust. I, I don't. I, I switch my system up a little bit. I don't trust my dogs enough to just to put them out and then call them to me without the collar on. So, yeah. so I'll take a minute and let everything get synced up, and I'll call them out of the box and kick them from the tailgate with sure. the collar on, just sure. in case. Yeah, no, just well, in case. But uh, with that said, I've had numerous times when they, uh, you know, you dump them out there and they're making a circle. Somebody's eighty yards up the hill and off they go, and they're they're running something too, and you know, right. you get you get to the tree and nobody had a collar on, but. Uh, you know, so you can definitely get yourself in trouble with that. Sure. Um, and you don't do that like all of a sudden one day with having never done that. You know, these dogs have worked their way into the system since they were itty bitty puppies and didn't know what to trail. Yeah. And so similarly, like when I take dogs out of a tree with, you know, calling dogs off of trees and a lot of guys do that now. There used to be nobody did that. No. Now, what with, was it like in Wisconsin? Garments. Did they leash them and drag them out? Um, some of them. Their guys, those guys' dogs have great handle on them. They yeah. weren't. They weren't bad. I mean, they could have probably done. It. it just isn't a natural practice. But I think a lot of that too is is that um, nobody's running ten dogs by them of their own dogs. It's a six dog limit. So mm-hmm. you, there's never a pile of dogs. There's always three or four people. So the reason we do that is because you can't lead all of them off the tree. You know, I mean, that's the reason I did it. Not and through so, the, not without getting drug well, off the and, edge of a and, rock or a well, cliff. And or, the, yeah, and yeah. That, you know, and so are hung up in the brush, and right. then, you know, yeah. three dog couplers are all scattered around. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and we started doing that, you know, fifteen twenty years ago, um, and it was a fight to get my dogs to where they first started doing it. The f- getting the, because I'd had, you know, this pack of dogs that I had just led off of trees all the time. Yep. And they'd fight me, and I had these great big blue ticks, and they were a pain in the butt, you know. And they're barking, at, you know, they're screaming, trying to want to go back. I got drugged down. There's, you know, you're on snowshoes, you're in boulder fields, you just can't walk. And I mean, you're slathered up, and you're ready to beat these dogs. And. I was like, there's a better way. There's got to be a better way. And <laughs> I had just got to finally, finally had been able to save up enough and got a, a, a shocking system, you know. An electronic training system. Yeah. I'm going to have to edit that out. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, an e-collar. I, got, I got, finally got an e-collar. There you go. And I, I ended up, um, you know, hammering on some of these dogs but these dogs you got to understand how good a tree dogs they were like you're not going to be ruining these dogs from being tree dogs yeah and um and then with the young pups i'd just hook onto that one dog and leash it out of there but anyway what's amazing now is i haven't shocked a dog off of a tree in 12 15 years everybody's like you know now granted i've toned them once in a while like i can i'll tone them once in a great while yeah and, and this is no mystery that everybody's doing this now. Right. It, it was an anomaly back when I was started doing it um, in, in our area anyway. Uh, and, you know, these guys have been handling dogs that way in the southwest forever because they're running 20 dogs and they're, yep. they're on a mule or on foot. You're like, you ain't dragging all those dogs back to the truck 20 miles away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so this is no anomaly. I'm not by anybody saying this. But my process to get to that point, though, was a struggle to get everybody used to that system. 
but once I reinforced that and they learned that there's no fight in this system, we're all, it's time to go. And they all knew how to come. Like, that's another thing. They had a, you got to have a handle on them in the yard if you're expecting to have a handle on them when they're at a tree. Right. <laughs> you're not going to take a dog that won't come to you in the right. yard without, right. without correction. Uh, you can't just holler their name up at the tree and expect them to come to you either. So, so, so that's the process. But now all these puppies are little dudes. And I say, let's go to the truck. And everybody comes and follows me out to the truck. And those little puppies, they look around. You know, they're not even treeing yet. Like these are, like I, I haven't, I don't really do much as far as showing, game. you know, I, I, I'm able to just uh, pack them along and they just see, see game in the big woods, you know. Yeah. So these little puppies, you know, they're just along for the ride and they're just happy to be in the brush. And, and they hear me say, let's go to the truck. And these little puppies follow the old dogs and we all go and we jump in the truck and we go look for another so one. So it's a repetition. It's a condition. So this puppy has done this yep. dozens of times. Yep. The first time he starts hammering away and treeing really hard. And, and uh, he's just, you know, he's finally locating and he ran the race and he's just doing a good job. You know, I snap a leash on him. And then I walk to the truck and I just, you know, and I say, let's go to the truck. And I, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't want to risk having a bad experience on that day, you mm -hmm. know, on that, at that point in his, in his little brain. I just want to end on a good note. So we throw him in the pickup and leash them back and, and everybody else follows me, but everybody else, the whole pack is moving with me. Mm -hmm. They're all, I'm, I'm leading this pack back to the, they're following me. So we load up and then, you know, the next time, maybe I do that a, a few times in a row and I end with a good note, praising them up at the tree and clipping them on a lead and going to the pickup. And then the next time I might have to get on them a little bit. Yeah. But he's you know? already got several repetitions of reinforcing good behavior. Yeah. He already knew that he was supposed to be doing this. That's interesting and because you were trying to avoid. Here's a first time that he put it all together. He connected yeah. the dots. He's here. Why run the risk? Well, he ought to know he's done this. Yeah. You know, he's done this 20 times. He knows what lets go the truck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I think. Why run the risk? Yeah, it's just not worth it. And I yeah. can, I mean, I can lead a couple dogs out of the woods every day. This isn't like my Well, Casey, if he ain't <laughs> smart enough to figure that out, he ain't worth feeding. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to stomp his, you know, and, and, and have to use correction on, on a dog at that point. So, in on a good note. But then, you know, I might have to tone him once. But this dog already knows how to come. And he already knows what a tone means. Yep. And he knows that means come, come looking for me. And so. Anyway, and, and, and you just keep adding individuals into the yard, and then it's always easy. Now, you know, I, this year I had a few, you know, the, the hard ones are those ones where that critter comes down, you know, when you walk 10 feet away. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got way too many dogs to handle, and, you know, and you've got not enough leashes. And Bears are bad about <laughs> it. And they're oh, bad. Man. Some of them will just pile down. You know, like literally, you step. As soon as you, yeah, as soon as, as, soon you as turn the dogs your back. quit barking and they turn their backs to it, it's down. Um, you know, but you, know, you work through your way through all that kind of stuff. But, but if it's early in the morning, let's run them again. Yeah, there's that. What's I uh, doing? Uh, mostly, you know, or you tie up, you tie them, you know, you tie up half of them and hold on to there too, and you let them get out of their ways. You, you know, you move everybody off the tree right. ways and let everybody calm down, and then. And then they want to go run them, but you might have to tone them once or something or holler pretty good and get them right. all. But the other thing is just create forward movement. Like when you're hiking out of there, hike out of there with a purpose too. Those dogs will feed off your energy that we're going Body home. Body language. But if you're, yeah, I, I stress that with my dogs more than anything. Like I don't always like talk to them a lot. I don't, 
I don't coddle them. I don't, pet, you know, I pet them. I'm happy to, and they love me. But, you know, the nonverbal communication is going to be far more powerful tool than than verbal communication mm-hmm. with your dogs. It just is like because that's that's how dogs that's how dogs work. Dogs work in a nonverbal communicative way with each other right and so you know if you're mad they know it if you're happy they know it Mm -hmm. and and uh so it's it's a it those are the things i'm using in that whole process i just spoke of that's a powerful amount of that is is a lot of presence in nonverbal communication as i'm walking out of there i think something was really cool that that you talked you know you mentioned was you know that you haven't had to you know, it, once you establish the culture, mm-hmm. you know, then the older dogs talk to younger dogs. Yeah. And I've seen that as well. I mean, look behind you right there on that futon. And you know, yeah. Roxy has taught Axel how to be a good citizen. Yeah. She's taught Tough how to be a good citizen, what's acceptable behavior, how to react to certain things. Where the boundaries are. Th- what the boundaries are. Mm-hmm. You know, where home is, you know, just a lot. Dogs have that ability to influence their peers just like we do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like any training dogs to to jump up on the tailgate and load themselves. Yeah. I mean, you know, my your puppies, everybody else piles, piles, piles in and the puppy just jumps in one day. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like I don't personally usually take much time to set up you know, a structure or when they're little puppies, put a dog box down. I think I could, I could accelerate it way better because some of mine take a while to figure that out. I don't stress it. It's just, I, I, I do feed, but I do feed young dogs in the box. I think it'd be powerful. I've actually been sitting there thinking about it. I've got, I've, you know, even listening to, to Heath and some of these other things. Yeah. I, I mean, it's been a, it's like been on my mind that I think I should probably spend more time with some of those types of attributes, mm-hmm. but I've been fortunate because I got a whole culture of a bunch of a whole pack of dogs that do it. And, you know, I might have to put up with it for a little bit, but, um, you know, it doesn't take very long and they're piling in. Well, their buddies are all jumping yeah. in there. Yeah. It's like, you oh, know, oh, the main we're, reason, we're, like for in the, like in the coon hunting community, you know, we have to teach dogs to load because they're by themselves. They're going to be by themselves a lot. You know, a lot of guys are just hunting one dog a night, yeah. you, you know, and, and you're not loading two or three dogs. You're trying to, you know, teach some of this independence and whatever all that means. And, <laughs> and so, you know, you don't want a lot of, you don't want them buddied up and, yeah. you know, it's a different culture for the, the competition coon hunting side of it. But, but for most hounds and houndsmen, you know, a small percentage of the people are, are engaged in that sort of activity. So for the small, the, the, the average houndsman, I don't mean small houndsman, but the average houndsman, mm-hmm. you know, you can afford to let your dogs, uh, be, be buddies and yeah. do stuff and, oh, and yeah. let the power of that influence from another dog. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I'm grateful. You know, you think that monkey see me, monkey do stuff is, is such a powerful training tool, and it takes so much of the, um, you know, saves me so much effort. Right. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it's when you have a – trash breaking is similar. You know, if you have a whole culture of broke dogs, you know, and that pup gets away and he's running this deer all by his lonesome and none of his buddies are there with him, and I correct him, you know, that's a lot, a lot easier to get the right drift to that dog's brain that we're not doing this as a pack than if, 
if if every time he breaks, then six six other ones pile in behind him, even though they're mostly broke. But they'll, yeah. you know, if this yeah. dumb puppy will start one, and they pile in behind him, well, then I'm all of a sudden hollering at everybody. But they they did it too, and this kind of seems right, and this is very similar to a good sure. race. So, so I, you know, all of that kind of stuff is valuable when you can uh, yeah. implement dogs into a into a well balanced pack of dogs. Uh, you know, fighting and all the aggression and those types of things. That's similar too. A nice balanced, quiet pack of dogs is going to influence those puppies in a nice balanced way. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, they're just like you said, how to be good citizens and, and, uh, um, but you get a couple of, of morons and they're going to key up the whole group and everybody's going to be a pain in the rear. So, yeah, there's definitely some, uh, you want to, you want, you want harmony in your, you know, everybody uh, doesn't doing their part. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, Casey, I'm I'm glad you came to see my part of the world, the the rainforest of southeastern Indiana. Uh, it's been humid. We've got some rain. We've had some sunshine. We've had some heat. You got to see the Ohio River. Yeah, you got to go to Kentucky. Went all the way to Kentucky. <laughs> no, I uh, I'm grateful. I'm I'm glad I took the time to to drop down out of here. It's definitely not on the way, but uh, um, make our way back home here. And, uh, you only added. You it, pr- probably only added seven hours to your trip back home. It it was probably yeah probably more like nine down here from where I was. And yeah. Maybe seven or eight on the way back home. We'll go back a different route. But yeah. So that, what's that? Eighteen hours or a oh, big deal. Sixteen hours. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I'm I'm yeah it's good. I decided I wanted to come come take a look at this part of the world and. I don't know. Someday I'd love to listen to a coon dog go run. That'd be fun. But yeah, we should have. We if I had a coon dog, we could have done that last night. <laughs> we should have. I left yeah. my coon dog in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, very good. I, like I said, I appreciate being able to come see you. Thanks for letting yeah. me come. You stay, bet. Stay and have a place to crash. So sure, you're welcome anytime. You're welcome anytime. So stay as long as you want. Stay tonight, and we'll we'll go chase a raccoon tonight yeah yeah maybe we'll have to all right well hey everybody thanks for tuning in and listening to the houndsman xp podcast make sure you're checking out our our website at houndsmanxp.com we've got opportunities there for you to take listen into past episodes with links there we've got a merchandise store and when you spend your money on our merchandise which a lot of people are doing i got to do some reorders on uh, a few of the designs but um you're supporting this show that um, talks about hounds and hunting, and that's what it's all about. So thanks for listening to the Houndsman XP podcast. This is Fair Chase.